Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to find more information about this show, please go to our Facebook page at The Wonderful World of Wine. Kim, I've been waiting all week to follow up on a few questions for you. We did an event with a gentleman from Piemonte, and he made a statement about wine and cheese. And then the other night, we're doing another event, and you got a question about wine and cheese. So I thought we could talk with our listeners about that today. I guess cheese is on people's minds. Cheese is always on my mind. So I'm very happy to talk about this topic. So the the gentleman from Piemonte sells some very nice Barolos, and his statement to our group was... Do not have cheese with these wines. What did you think? Because I was I was taken back. I was a little surprised by that comment because we often see cheese and wine pairings and the fact that often specific types of cheese pair very, very well with certain types of wine. So I don't know if this is because his wines specifically don't necessarily pair very well with cheeses or if it's this common idea that, that I know we've seen in a couple of places that sometimes cheeses will be used to sort of hide flaws in a wine at a wine tasting. Or there's a saying that if you have an inferior wine and you want to serve it, serve it with cheese. Whereas if you have a wine that you want to show everything that's going on with it and make sure that every little bit about that wine comes out, serve it with fruit. So it's it might be a little bit, a little bit of that coming into play. And I thought it was shocking to people at the tasting because everybody brings cheese to share no, with we everybody. Do. And a lot of foods, it. you know, a lot of foods that have cheese go great with wine. Like the previous week we had done a wine and pizza pairing and there was certainly plenty of cheese all over that one. And those wines went, went quite nicely. So like he was saying that if you have cheese with an average, what he calls an average wine or an everyday wine, it really doesn't complement it. It's just kind of hiding certain things within that wine. And I never thought of it that way. When I have wine and cheese, I'm always thinking it's a great pairing. It's like the perfect match, Mm -hmm. right? We always learn of what are some of the classic wine and cheese pairings, like uh, Stilton cheese and port, have you ever had? Mm -hmm. They always say that's the classic matchup. What are some other... My favorite is goat cheese and Sauvignon Blanc especially French Sauvignon Blanc. There's a saying that what grows together goes together. So often if you have a wine from a certain area and then a food or a cheese product from that same area, that the matching will be exceptionally nice. And I do find that with goat cheese from France and then Sauvignon Blancs from France. But other things too, like heavier cheeses like sharp cheddars or Parmesans that are good for eating, those I feel go very well with heavier reds, Cabernets and some Merlots that are a little on the on the weightier side. And like most of our food and wine pairings, we tend to think about balance and texture and weight. So if it's a lighter cheese, pair it with a lighter wine. It's a heavier cheese, pair it with a heavier wine. And so a lot of those other rules come into play too. Like with uh, my thing with fried food and champagne, if you have an oily kind of food that tends to be cut by bubbles and the same holds true for cheese. If you have something that's really creamy, like a brie, it's excellent with sparkling wine. So the wines we had at that event were very pricey and they're also very acidic very tannic grape nebbiolo Mm -hmm. do you feel that there's a certain quality of wine that you shouldn't ever pair with cheese for that reason like he was suggesting for those i wonder also if because there's a lot of subtlety that's in those wines that could be kind of lost or masked by the flavors of 
of a lot of different kinds of cheeses, which tend to be, I don't want to say overpowering, but can overwhelm the wine. So I wonder if there's a little bit of that coming into play too, that these are, they might be tannic wines, but they're also, I found to be very delicate wines. So I don't think that you would necessarily want to put like a cheddar with one of those because they would be, they really would lose something. Uh, of their personality. And I was thinking that night that this doesn't make sense, but then afterwards I was thinking, yeah, it is a good point. It was just shocking that everybody was eating the cheese and (laughs) they took them aback a little bit. So you also got a question. We did another event and someone else raised the cheese question. I Mm -hmm. thought it was very interesting to hear feedback how Yeah, one of our attendees from from an event the other night said that she actually liked her wines more once she had paired it with cheese. And I talked a little bit about the fact that higher tannin reds, that the tannins like to bind with fat in fatty foods like a steak or or cheeses and that that makes the wine feel softer and a little bit more pleasant on the palate. Um, so we talked about that a little bit too. And I think that's one of the upsides of pairing some a harder kind of cheese with something that has a lot of tannins to it is that it'll soften out the red wine a little bit and just make it taste better. Did she say what she was drinking? Because I, I wish we knew like a brand or if, if I, she's kind of hiding the flaws or she just didn't, you know what I mean? I believe as as it was the board. It was. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, well, that's good. Yes. What about personally, Kim? When I have cheese and wine myself, I'm tending to go more white wines with a soft cheese Mm -hmm. than... than a hard cheese. I do the same thing. I do the same thing. Although I've been finding, I have been doing a lot more wine and cheese pairings through some of my events. And I am finding that sort of funkier red wines, things that have more of an earthy note or a savory note have been going really, really well with blue cheeses. So I've been using a lot of blue blue cheeses in my tastings, a lot of goudas, and I will pair those with reds. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, yeah, a lot of breeze, a lot of goat cheeses, but then some other interesting sort of softer cheeses from Italy, from France, from the U.S. go with a whole wide range of white wines. So I do find, like you, that the whites are a little bit more flexible when it comes to cheese pairings. So you think like a stinky cheese, you're using something more earthy notes? Well, it depends what you mean by stinky cheese. Do you mean like a washed rind stinky cheese? Well, to me, blue cheese has a distinct aroma. Mm -hmm. So you're using the earthiness of the wine to kind of balance that out or just the texture of the cheese? No, the flavors too. Yeah, the flavors I can relate to that as far as like a a hot provolone cheese Mm -hmm. using a nice earthy Chianti. I like that lighter, softer red, but a little bit of earthiness to cut through that. Right. And I tend to like those southern... French reds that almost have like a black olive or an herbal sort of savoriness to it. put that with the blue cheeses. And I think that those things just all the flavors play really, really well together. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find information about Mark at franklinlickers.com and a little bit more about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. Very timely article out of Wine Spectator that we ran across. We're always talking about trends and topics in the wine world, but also growth and where we're seeing growth in the market, who's drinking what, who's drinking, who's not drinking. And this one was about sales growth in certain demographic categories as as far as age. And I thought it was very interesting to see what they are saying as far as are millennials drinking a lot of wine? What are they drinking? Do they have the 
income to spend on alcoholic beverages. What is Gen X doing? What are the baby boomer generation doing? And it's, it's always very interesting for us having been in the business for a long time to see where these shifts go. Yeah, I'm curious your feedback on this article, Kim, because in retail, these always bug me when you see these these stories, because I have no idea, number one, how are they getting this data? Are they just sending surveys to random age groups, getting their feedback on wine? And the second thing is, I never understand, is this big box sales? Is this restaurant sales? Is this what? Yeah, I was how wondering about where they got their data as well. It's like, because who were they asking? There's a big difference between the person who's buying wine in a restaurant and the person who's buying wine in a box store and a person who's buying wine in a small retail setting. So the demographic might shift, is, is my opinion on it. Depending on where they're doing their shopping. Yeah, correct. Yes. Correct. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And I know having not only seen the customers that you have coming into your store through my years in retail and in wholesale, but also having done tastings at places like Costco and other stores around the state, seeing who is doing the shopping, what are they buying? Is this a specialty purchase or is this something for everyday consumption or every week consumption? So it is, I agree with you, sort of difficult to figure out who are they actually talking about? here. Yeah, and usually the pool of that they're pulling from is a very small number, maybe a thousand people or mm-hmm. a couple hundred people. So I don't really take much into these mm-hmm. as far as a retailer. I did think it was interesting, though, that they, they did have a, a graph that showed how big the certain populations are based on age and that, you know, the, the millennials are the largest generation of current wine drinkers and that as baby boomers retire, maybe they won't have as much disposable income but they're a bigger group as well. And then sandwiched in the middle, um, we have Generation X, which is on the smaller side. And that's my generation. And so those are the people who I know, who I see as wine consumers. And we're kind of the ones that are in the middle right now, maybe have a little bit more, not only money to spend on wine, but interest in topics and wine. So very, very interesting to see where these trends go. Yeah, those statistics I can believe because it's an actual, I mean, they're saying millennials, there's about 75 million in the category. Um, and the interesting thing that comes up again with the millennials is they're choosing marijuana over wine more. So it's taking away from wine sales. And then, as you said, uh, baby boomers were the biggest consumers, uh, but they're now on fixed income. So that might be heading back a little in your generation, Gen X, there's fewer but has money to spend because you're you're rich, Kim, and you can ex- you can expo- explore right. the good stuff, right? <laughs> so more on the millennials. I feel the younger generation. I think it's great that they're exploring wine, but I don't. I, I'm nervous about this whole marijuana trend. I think it is. Are a you trend. really? Yeah, I, really, I really feel that is a trend that people are going to be smoking and not drinking. I definitely agree with that. Interesting. And I can I can see that trend happening, and I'm worried about that. But I like the fact that Gen Xers have have money and they're exploring wine. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please visit her website at vinitaswineworks.com. And if you'd like to get more information about myself, please visit franklinliquors.com. Next, we want to talk about a story that was in PR News about how people feel labels on wines are misleading, and they want legislation to deal with these misleading labels. And Kim, this is one of the things we, well, I guess me more 
or the new are very geeky on the wine labels. And these were a lot of numbers that they showed about what people like and don't like and what they want changed on the labels. I had an issue with this study. I actually thought this study was was a little bit misleading because we this is a topic that we do talk, talk about from time to time. And there has been a lot of chatter in the professional wine community about folks buying grapes from certain areas and then that are protected names like Napa or Willamette and using those names when they bring those grapes to other places like, say, Texas or, or it could be Massachusetts and make wines with those grapes and then put those protected names on the label to say where the grapes came from. I don't think that's what this study was asking about. And I was a little disappointed that 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 this study didn't go into detail like that. And I'm I'm curious as to how people feel about those kinds of things. This seemed to be talking more about the broader regions of origin, which is something that has been happening on U.S. wine labels for a very, very, very long time, using names from other places, but not necessarily grapes from those other places. I totally agree with you. I thought this this report was all over the place. It hit like mm-hmm. everything. And it was only like 800 people that took the survey, but they would give one number and then show something that was totally opposite of what they just showed. So like, one of the things, for example, was 70% of the people don't like misleading regions like saying champagne, or, but technically you can't do that anyway. So I was kind of confused on why they would say that because it, it's Kind well, of you're a not supposed thing. to. Yeah, but, but it's it is protected almost already. There's pr- some people that are grandfathered in, right. but there is a protection in place for that already. But the idea of okay, if your wine is not from port, you can't be calling it port. If your wine is not from Chablis, you can't be calling it Chablis. That really seemed to be all that they were asking. So yeah, it was a little bit of a confusing. It was almost like this was a report that was done like 20 years ago because those I don't think are the current issues that we're dealing with when it comes to labeling laws and our current understanding of what is quote-unquote misleading on a wine label. So 70% said they cared about that. But then it turned around and it said 79% feel region is important. So why did, what, I, I'm just confused how the, these, where these other 9%, why weren't they in the 79 that said they care about? Yeah. It, it was a weird, it was, it was weird it was, the way it was It structured. was weird. It was like there were a lot of redundant questions that were asked. And then if you changed your answer even just slightly, then it would make the number seem a little bit different. And then they just turned it around asking, they said 34% considered region where his farm is a factor when buying. But that's much lower than 70% who cared that it told you where it was from. So well, just because you care where it's from doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to make an impact on you in your buying habits. Well, yeah, it said region. So region. I was assuming I was assuming that. <laughs> so then they moved on to say 36% say would, they would read the label very closely. Only 36%. I don't understand that. I one. think this kind of falls into our understanding of how how people buy wine. I think that the word here is closely. Like how closely is closely? Does looking for the region that it comes from just on the front of the label does that count as reading closely or does reading closely mean you're turning the bottle over you're reading the description on the back you're taking a look at where it's bottled that would be like a really close reading so i think this was a little hazy for me as far as what they meant by a close reading of a label so i want a white i see chardonnay um, that's i'm getting right right 
Yeah, exactly. 15% said they wouldn't at all read the label to buy the wine. So I don't know what, what well, these Well, there's all those people who are just buying by what the what the price, pr- price yeah. picture on the label. You, know, you can't discount the marketing of the visual on the label. I see this all the time with people where, you know, I start talking about wine with folks and they're just like, oh, I just buy by the label. And, and I feel like I see this all the time. So that number does not shock me at all. Yeah, they say colors and... Mm-hmm. Yep, color mostly. and font and, yeah. you know, how heavy is the bottle and is it a dark label or a light label? Is the picture intriguing to you or is it off-putting? You know, that that can happen too. I certainly know that there are wine labels that even though I know in my head that the wine in the bottle is good, if I hate the label, I'm not buying it. Every once in a while, someone will shop and say they're looking for a certain theme on the label mm-hmm. just to put in a gift basket or yeah. something like that. But the whole trend where dog pictures or something on the wine label Label. I thought that had its peak and now it's it's going away. People want something more serious, I think, on the label than in the past. Have, have you seen that or have you not bought a wine because you thought the label was just too crazy? Are there are far fewer like fuzzy creatures on labels these days. Well, there's always dog ones or... I remember there was or... one label with animals wearing sweaters from a few years ago that I just cracked up every single time I see that bottle. Well, some people shop on that. One of our most popular wines for years has been Mommy's Time Out. Uh-huh. I mean, the name, it has a little chair. and I mean... That's that... finding its way into a lot of gift baskets, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, so, but... As far as the quality, though, it's very just light, easy drinking wine, but Mm -hmm. people don't care. They just like the label. I think that was brilliant marketing, actually, because that wine just sells so well. And it's not by nature of what the juice is in the bottle, but that is completely a labeling and marketing. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi. You can find us online at vinitaswineworks.com and franklinliquors.com. An article and topic from one of our favorite wine websites, Vine Pair, which gives some really good information about basic topics in wine. And this week's topic that is something that we talk about when when we're tasting wine with people is tannins. And what are tannins? What do they taste like? What do they do for wine? And this is one of those things that's really a building block of wine that is important for people to understand in order to have some basic language in which to discuss wine intelligently. Yeah, definitely one of the top key wine terms to know know to be able to communicate. So Kim, when I talk tannins, I always relate it to tea. Uh, and I'm curious how, how you relate it. Yeah, or- tea is a good one. The one that I tend to t- uh, to mention when I'm talking about tannins, I will say underripe bananas because tannins are compounds that are found in vegetables, in, in leaves, in growing things. So they are found in tea leaves. And if you have like a really strong cup of black tea, tea and then you let it get cold and you take a sip and you have that real drying astringent sensation in your mouth that's what you're feeling you're feeling those tannins and it's really it's the same thing with the underripe banana you um you take a bite and it makes your teeth feel a little fuzzy and it's dry and it's a little bitter again it's tannins it's the same thing with like things like persimmons and oak leaves and there are other fruits and vegetables out there that do contain this compound and grape skins are one of the best sources of tannins 
tannins, which is why when you have a nice heavy red wine, you get that feeling because it's being drawn from the grape skins during fermentation. I like that explanation. Why, thank you. I'm going to use that. I'm going to steal. Forget the tea. I'm going going with the bananas. But I I think tea works too. So let's just tell our listeners, the tannins come from multiple sources in wine. It can be the skins. It can come from the oak. It can come from seeds. It can come from stems. Mostly we're talking red wine. Drying. It's a drying effect that you get or a bitterness. And a lot of talk within the wine world is people are actually so good at tasting, they can tell what the tannins are coming from or how they're getting it. They'll say it's oak tannins because I'm getting at the top of my mouth or the front of my mouth. I, to me, I never could pick that up. Yeah, but I, found, I found this very interesting that different, different sources of tannins will affect certain tasters in different ways. So typically when you have a tannic wine, where do you sense that bitterness or dryness in, in your mouth? I'll get it in the center of my tongue. Yeah, and, I agree. And I think it's important for people to understand that this is more of a texture. So this is more of a feeling in your mouth and less of a taste in your mouth. It's not really a flavor. You may get that bitterness, but overall it's more how is this wine making your your mouth feel? Yeah, and typically the best way to understand the, the drying from tannins, the opposite would be acidity would make your mouth water. Correct. So those are the two basic things for tasting to understand. And that's why we like to talk about the acid and the tannins as being sort of like the skeleton of the wine. You know, if you're thinking of the wine as as a body or a living creature, there needs to be something in there that's giving it structure so that it doesn't just f- get floppy. And, and we like to think of it as the, the structure of the wine is the tannins in the reds and the acidity in the whites, although tannins also need acid. And that's why reds are generally a more complicated and complex wine wine because they just have a little bit more chemically going on there. And when you're tasting or writing a tasting note about a wine, typically you'd say if the tannin level is low or it's high. And there are many times where you'll taste the wine and it just rips your mouth apart. It's so tannic and you know with age that will go away. So I think a lot of consumers when purchasing a wine, if you say, well, this is really tannic right now, it's really bitter. A lot of people think, well, yeah, I like that because that's tends to be what they drink and they're, they're not lighting age mm-hmm. but it, that is one of the components that will allow a, a wine to age i think it's important to let our listeners know what are some examples of low tannin medium tannin and high tannin wines so maybe you can figure out for yourself if you like this component in red wines so the the lightest out there would be pinot noirs and i would say beaujolais so beaujolais is a region in france and the grape variety that they use there is gamay and those tend to be lighter, softer, a little bit easier to get into if you're just starting to drink red wines. Do you have any other light, light bodied, light tannin wines? Uh, that tend to come across sometimes cab franc maybe yeah some other um some other great varieties that aren't quite as popular here or aren't made in really large quantities from some places like northern italy germany you know great varieties like like zweigelt is kind of that way but the ones that you'll generally see would be pinot noir and uh, and gamay yeah and high tannic wines obviously cabernet syrah nebbiolo is 
intense tannins mm-hmm. and, and sometimes like sometimes a, a an older or a, a more expensive bottle of chianti might be really tannic which is why those are wines that need some food with them food yeah let's talk about food with with tannic wines always heavy or protein right direct fatty protein so this is one of those old bits of advice that we tend to give about food and wine pairings is that for high tannic wines like cabernet like syrah like bordeaux you want you want to pair them with meat you want to put them with a steak or you want to put them with something fatty and that just comes down to the chemistry of what's going on with the foods so what happens is that tannins bind with protein and when you drink a tannic wine there's also protein in your saliva so the tannins will pull the protein from your saliva and will make your mouth have that drying feeling but when you add even more protein to the mix and you add fat because you're you're eating something that's high in protein and high in fat like a steak um it kind of mitigates that. So it creates a softer feel because the tannins are no longer just completely overwhelming everything that's going on in your mouth. So that's why a high tannin wine and a fatty food and a high protein food will really play really nicely together because they bring out, I think, the the softer, better components of each other and just make everything sort of taste and feel better. Yeah, balanced pairings. Balance, yeah. When the wine, you're not tasting just wine, you're not tasting just food, they're just merging perfectly Mm -hmm. together. So Kim, when a person says to you, I like a dry red wine, are you thinking I'm going to recommend a tannic red wine? You think people think that dryness is tannins? I do sometimes because that's the physical sensation that you're feeling in your mouth. Dry, the term dry is so... It's so loaded when it comes to wine because not only are you talking about the absence of sugar. So for us, dry is not the opposite of wet. Dry is the opposite of sweet. But then when you're talking about this actual physical sensation of how the tannins are reacting in your mouth, you can also really legitimately discuss that in terms of dryness and does that feel dry in your mouth? So yeah, that can, I think that's a question that should lead to an additional question. When somebody says they like a dry red wine, it's like, well, how dry? And let's talk about fruit flavor. And you still need to talk about sugar a little bit because there are some reds out there that do have some sweetness to them. So asking that additional question of, okay, how dry do you like your wines? And then get some examples of things they've liked in the past. So if they say, yeah, I like a dry red wine, and you say, well, you know, what have you been happy with in the past? And somebody might say, oh, I like big Bordeaux. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm really going to give you something with a lot of tannins to it because you know that they can handle it if they like that. So it leads to the the body question. So they say, I like a dry red. Do you say, well, do you like a light body? Then you're talking a dry. Pinot Noir mm-hmm. or a heavy body, then you're talking cab. Right. So you want to talk about the weight of the wine, but then you also want to talk about the flavors of the wine as well. How do you explain, we talk about body and weight all the time. What's your best way you explain weight when you're talking about wine? I, I'm still searching for a good way to explain it. I actually have started to use yours in my you presentations. Did, you stole my I've, milk. Been, I've been stolen the I've stolen the milk analogy. Well, I'll swab you the banana one. Okay, you can have the bananas so, and I'm taking the milk. We, we talk milk like uh, if you had a skim milk, that would be a light body wine in your mouth. The same feeling. If you had a 2%, that would be like a medium bodied and a heavy body wine would be more like a whole milk. Yeah, I think it's so, a good comparison because that's something that people understand. You know, in your own imagination, the difference between a glass of skim milk and a cup of heavy cream. You know that those things are night and day, but you're still talking about dairy products. So I think that's a, a, a nice way to talk about wine too. Maybe you need, need to start talking about it in, in terms of beer for those beer yeah, drinkers out there too. Beer. Yeah. Right. You know, 
Bud Light. Related, related Bud, to another liquor. Bud Light versus Guinness. Yeah. You know, you've got and you've got the whole world of of weights of beer in between. The reason I mentioned the weight is because I feel that the weight is also a good way to compare the tannin. So a, a low weight or a low body to me is also a low tannic because if you like the lighter red, you'll like a light tannin red. Mm-hmm. So heavy, same, similar. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely does. Thank you for listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi. Please find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Leave us your comments and questions, and we will talk to you again next week. Wine, wine, wine.